Good morning, friends. Good to see you. So many of you here and wherever you are, we love you and are thrilled to be with you. 400 years ago, a man named John Eliot became motivated by this passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. This text changed John Eliot's life and the lives of, of thousands of his neighbors. Let's read it all together. 2 Timothy 3.16, all together, and 17. We'll be 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Thank you. Moved by that truth, John Eliot translated the New Testament into the Wampananak Indian language in 1661. He did the New Testament. He added the Old Testament in 1663. Suddenly, the Word of God was available to all these Massachusetts, uh, Montaukett, uh, Nipmuc Indians uh, who spoke Wampananak, not to mention thousands of people who were of the related Algonquin tribes that spoke similar languages. Wamusi Wunu Tupanetamwe Up Biblum God is especially notable for a couple of reasons. Let me just give you a couple of them. One, this is the earliest translation and printing of the entire 66 book Bible. It was the first time it's ever happened into a new language that previously had no words, no, no written words. It was spoken only. An amazing achievement. It was the first Bible rendered into a language that was not native to the translator. Before this, people had rendered the Bible into Latin and English and other languages that were their language, but this was new. John Eliot was translating into a language that he was just learning for the purpose of sharing God's Word. Isn't that amazing? Now, how did he do it? The answer is in our notes. Uh, take a look at the link you got online or open your bulletin if you came in here, and you'll see this headline. How did this come about? Eliot accomplished this by, uh, by a great plan that has stood the test of time. In fact, this is the same method that is used by our missionaries today. Almost 400 years ago, Eliot did what our missionaries in Papua New Guinea are doing right now. Same thing. Four big steps in Eliot's plan. First, learn. Learn the language. You do that by building relationships with these people. Secondly, evangelize. You share the gospel with your new friends. Thirdly, you begin your translation and you check it all the time. You're checking. You develop a written alphabet and then you check portions of your translation with some of those new friends. They're not all, but some are willing to become, become scholars, become educated. By the way, Eliot's scholars that he used are really, really important brethren of ours to remember. These are remarkable people. James Printer, who was a Nipmuc, uh, Job Nesutan, who was a Massachusetts Indian, John Sassamon of the Massachusetts tribe in Kokeno, who was a Mountaukett Indian. Fourth step, share. Translate the whole thing and then share the text. Learn, evangelize, check your translation, check your understanding, and share. That's Eliot's plan, and share he did. Native Americans gobbled up those new Bibles. When you are granted access to the Bible, the impact is astounding. Seeing God's Word, I know this is hard for so many of us to understand because we've, all our lives we've had the Bible in our tongue, but just, just think about this. You see the Bible, God's Word for the first time in your tongue, and it leads to questions. It leads to discovery. For example, Genesis 1.27. Here it is in Wampananak and, uh, and in English. Let's read it in English together. So God created human beings in His own language. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. All right, what does that tell us? Imagine that you are hearing that for the first time. You're reading that in your tongue for the first time. Observe 
Look at that text. Somebody raise your hand. Tell me something you observe in that text. Raise your hand and tell me something you see. What is something you see in that text? Not you bring to the text, but something it's saying to you. Raise your hand. Yes, what do you got? God created people. We are not just substances that somehow chose, with no explanation how, to evolve from primordial slime. We are purposely made. That's, that's life-changing. What else? What do you see? What's that? In God's image, we're not just animals. You filthy animals. We're not just animals. Sorry, Christmas. I, um, the, it, you, we're made in the image of God. What's something else? What do you got? Made with the intention to multiply, male and female, he created them. You cheated because that's in the next chapter. But anyway, yeah, the multiply part is there as well. And, and, and the male and female, sexual difference is good. This is a positive, vive la différence. This, this is a positive thing, right? I know, again, most of us have grown up with the Bible in our language, but try to imagine the impact of understanding that for the very first time. This is life-changing information. That's why those very first literate Indians... The ones that, that got their language written and, and learned to read, they, they could not wait to share this information with others. Literacy spread in the late 1600s among the New England Indian tribes like wildfire that John Eliot and his partners could not make Bibles fast enough. By the way, and this, this word work they did was not just a one-way street. Uh, there were a number of Wapananak words that came into English. There were things English people didn't know that the Wapananak Indians taught them. I'm going I'm to just give you three of them. Let's see if you can figure out what they were. They had a word called Pantukun. Pantukun. And it, here's a little hint for you. It, it, it means literally grows forth round. What do you think that came into English? Very good. Pumpkin. It came in as pumpkin. All right, here's another one. Uh, Wapananak word, makus. Uh, probably wouldn't get it except I'll give you the meaning. The meaning means covers the whole foot. Very good. Oh, you're so smart. The moccasin. Nice. All right, here's one. This one's kind of gross, but cool. So conk means literally an animal that ejects bodily fluid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dead skunk. All right. And all this back and forth about words led to tons of questions being sent to John Eliot. He received, I think I get a lot of correspondence, so nothing like this guy. He, he got so many questions every day. And, and let me just share a few of them. Uh, here's a question he got a number of times when people would read that passage we read, Genesis 127. He got this question. Is this, Genesis 127, really saying each person is God's creation? Even other Algonquins? Isn't that awesome? By the way, having grown up Native American, there is no racism like that among different American Indian tribes. I mean, other Algonquins, they can't be made in God's image. Um, does, God, does God's love, does he love his created ones even after Genesis 3? That's a very good question. What happens in Genesis 3? Anybody know? Yeah, human sin, the fall. Uh, humans usher sin into the world. And that's a very good question. Here's another question he got a number of times. Why do some whites treat Indians as lesser beings? Eliot answered all these queries. And every time he answered, with every reply, he invited people to church. John Eliot established six churches. One of them on Martha's Vineyard boasted the first ever Native American pastor, a hero of mine, John Hyacombs. As a Native American pastor, I get pretty excited about Reverend Hyacombs. John Eliot saw over 1,100 Native Americans come to faith in Jesus Christ. He was a big part of a college being added to Harvard just for the training of Native American pastors. He died 86 years young, and his last words were, welcome, joy. 
How about that? Now, I know that brings up something you're saying in one Pananak. You're saying, not one known by, which we all know means question. So in honor of John Elliott, I'll ask you, what's your question? And then wonderfully in English, you reply and you say, what does this have to do with me? Very good question. Hmm. You aren't translating the Bible into an unknown tongue, are you? I mean, at least most of you aren't. But you are always, every day, given the opportunity to share Scripture. As we say atop the right side of your notes, look there, every Christian is a translator of God's Word. You make God's Word real for your neighborhood, your, your workplace, your, your sports teams, your clubs, your church. You, you are the one who inspires people to seek God through His Scripture. So, open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible, maybe a little further, you'll find 2 Corinthians just before Galatians. Go there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul addresses this directly. 2 Corinthians 5, let's read 20 and 21. Therefore, <clears throat> and he's been talking about because of Jesus, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like John Eliot, each of us is supposed to view ourselves. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're supposed to understand this. You are an ambassador for Messiah Jesus. And like, the, and, and like Eliot, the message we live out is really simple. Here's the message we live out. Human beings can experience permanent reconciliation with God. How does that happen? Th through a wonderful thing that theologians call substitutionary atonement. That's your fancy term for the day, kids. On the count of three, say substitutionary atonement. One, two, three. Very good. Here's what that means. Jesus was sinless. As you know, we are sinful, right? But... Anyone who trusts Jesus has their sin taken and put on Jesus, who pays the price for that sin. And then when Jesus, who conquered death and sin and rose from the dead, when, when he rose from the dead, you know what happened in this great exchange? His righteousness was, was imputed to us. How about that? Substitution. Jesus took our sin. We get his righteousness so we can be reconciled with God. Jesus was the only one who could handle our sin because he is God, the Son. He died with our sinfulness on him. He conquered death and sin, rising to resurrected life. If you believe that, then you can be reconciled to God through substitutionary atonement. That's our message. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom. We're supposed to share that news. No, you're not translating the Bible into an unknown tongue physically, but you really are because your world changes every day and the tongue becomes unknown and your job is to be an ambassador sharing reconciliation. My friend Mel Cure had a great note on this. Dr. Cure um, wrote this just before Christmas this year. He said, at Christmas, we don't just celebrate the three Fs, family, food, and football. We celebrate the grand miracle that is behind every miracle. The God of all creation sent his son into our world with one thought in mind that he would return to the eternal realm and, through his death and resurrection, open a door for us to join him. This year, let's celebrate this grand miracle. Let's give the gift of it to everyone we can. Let's encourage all whom God brings our way to ask the big questions of life. Amen? But there's one problem. The message doesn't always translate easily. 
an ambassador needs to be a good translator. Someone who understands the people he's reaching, determined to get God's message into something that can be understood. For example, this sign is not a good translation. Beware of safety. That's really not a good message. Um, a generation ago, there was a U.S. president. He made a harmless but silly goof in translation. Uh, he was trying to share the good news that, that Americans stood in support, in solidarity with these people in Berlin. So, President Kennedy got on stage before thousands of West Germans and he said, Ich bin ein Berliner. He was trying to say, I am a Berlin citizen. It's kind of like some European would come to Texas and say, How do y'all? I stand with Texas. We stand together, right? That's what he was trying to do. But in actuality, his speechwriters didn't know German well enough to realize that Ein Berliner is a jelly donut, right? <laughs> the Germans were very kind. They cheered because they knew what he meant, although the cartoonists and the artists had a great time. In light of all that, I know what you're thinking. I know in your, in your Berlin voice, you're saying, so how could we be better translators? Great question. Thank you for asking. Go back to Elliot's four steps. Look at his four steps. Learn. Learn the language through relationships. Evangelize. Share the gospel with, with your new friends. Check your translation. Keep checking your work with your new friends who are willing to become educated and share. Then translate and share the text in your life. This is why. These four steps are why I listen to rap and country, new modern country music. It's why I read synopses of popular TV shows. I don't have time to watch them, but I read the synopsis. It's why I read every month from the Urban Bible. It's why I check the Washington Post newspaper regularly. I don't particularly enjoy any of those things, particularly not rap. But I do all that every single month so that I can stay abreast of the culture into which I am supposed to be translating. I would much rather, I would be much more content to listen to only 1970s rock, watch only Psych and Monk on TV, read only the New American Standard Bible, and avoid the post like the plague. I would be content, but I would be a very poor translator. Look at Paul's reminder to the Thessalonian Christians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit. Look at that last prepositional phrase. For your benefit. Paul worked here, by the way, in the Agora, the forum at Thessalonica, and there he lived out the gospel, thinking of his neighbors, not himself, for their benefit. We've got to always keep learning the language, and that happens best through relationships. Elliot was right. You've got to build... I spend as much time as I can with my Indian neighbors. Many, many of my neighbors are, are Indians from India, not my kind of Indian. Uh, as my son says, dot, not feather. Um, by talking with them, it's not racist. I'm Indian. It's okay. All right. Yeah. By talking with them, I learn. That's why I spend as much time as I can talking. I want to learn their life. I want to learn their life language. Yes, I want them to learn as well, but my main goal is that I learn about them. And then through those relationships, I get to share the gospel with my new friends, something I, I got to do just a couple of days ago. And once the gospel's shared, I find ways to check my translation. One of the best ways to do this is have people say back to you what they heard you say. For example... There's a singer, Melinda Kathleen Reese. She is a huge fan of Disney's movie Frozen. Anybody here like Frozen? Anybody like Frozen? Cool. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, Melinda took the song Let It Go from Frozen, right? That song that parents have endured for a decade now. 
And what Melinda did was she ran that song through Google Translate into Mandarin, and then she took that and ran it from Google Translate from Mandarin back into English. And, and this was the result. part came through. All right. Please check your translation. Are your neighbors hearing what you mean to express? Are you saying what you think you need to say, or are you a jelly donut? And then once you're ready, at least as ready as we ever can be, then share. Share the scripture both in what you say and in what you do. But I know you're, I know you're asking in your bad frozen translation, let us very angry, which of course we know means, what does it take to share well today? At this moment in history, what does it take? Great question. Let me share two things. First, it requires that we hold forth the true message. The gospel of Jesus, the message of reconciliation to the king, it must not be diminished even as it is translated. When, it, when I recently taught First Peter, we noted that this is the theme of that whole book. Read with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Everybody together. I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in God's grace. His salvation by faith in Jesus. That is the true message. Amen? Before his death, Dr. J.I. Packer addressed this brilliantly. He said this, Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. Confusion here is fatal. One example of the confusion I see fairly often today involves something called critical theory. If you don't know what this is, you can research critical theory on your own. I, I think it has some good impulses that are ruined by sloppy thinking, but, but I might be wrong. I'd love to hear your thoughts after you've considered it. But whatever conclusion you reach about critical theory, know this, it is not the gospel of Jesus. It is not the message of reconciliation. There was recently a lady in Waco, Texas, uh, T.G. Owens is her name. She wrote an excellent article on this. She said, I'd like to propose that the real project of the church is to tell a better story. Critical theory is attractive because it captures the imagination with a coherent story about the world that gives people a role to play and invites them to participate in something bigger than themselves. The church needs to tell a fuller, truer, more captivating story. We need to tell the story about the creative Trinitarian love that is at the heart of all reality. We need to tell the story of our captivity to sin and of God's relentless pursuit of our despairing souls. We need to tell how the incarnation, that means Jesus becoming human, points to a transcendent reality that is bigger than our broken man-made systems. It points to a God who desires to be known, a God who can be known, 
T.G. Owen says, we need to tell a story in which meaning and purpose come not from the dismantling of any system of oppression, but from participating in God's redemption, his renewal of all things. That's, close quote, that's what it takes to share well in our day. And by the way, that's what it's always taken, the true message. Now, I recognize that it's complicated by current opposition. You asked, what's it like right now in the world today? Well, the world right now is entering another phase. There have been a few of these throughout history of being closed against the Scripture. Christians are increasingly commanded to be quiet, but do not be disheartened. Have courage. Look here. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is this long treatise about how God's Word changes lives. It's an awesome holy thing. The scripture is meant to be shared. We're going to read a few verses from Psalm 119. Uh, Verse 45, the psalmist says, I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed. I delight in your commands, which I love. And we'll slide down to verse 136. My eyes pour out streams of tears because people do not follow your instruction. Do not be disheartened. That's the second requirement for sharing God's truth. Share the real story and don't be disheartened. Look, I will walk freely, says the psalmist, not because some government allows it. I'll speak freely without shame, not because the world doesn't try to shame me. I share freely because I know how wonderful God's Word is. I study it. Look at that. We can be undaunted in our efforts to translate what we are taught by God's Word into terms that our neighbors can understand. In every environment, we can choose to share the life-changing, delightful gospel of Jesus. I want to show you something really awesome. Okay, look at the second strophe in verse 46, uh, which says, and not be ashamed, all right? Here's that in Wampananak. This is from the Wampananak Bible. Here's what that would be literally in English. Pull ahead with courage, do not be disheartened, we shall not be lost now. Is that great? I love this Bible. Hold forth the true message and do not be disheartened. Pull ahead with courage, do not be disheartened, we shall not be lost now. All God's people said? All right, kids, I would love for you to come up here and join me for a story time. Story time! Anybody who considers himself a kid, come up here and let's sit down together. And while you're coming... If you identify as a kid, come on up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come here, come here. I got a story for you. I want to tell you about our story's author while you come up here. It's a guy named Glenn Keane. Mr. Keane is very famous as an animator. He was the lead animator for stories like uh, Oliver and Company and The Fox and the Hound and Mickey's Christmas Carol, which I think we can all agree is the best version of The Christmas Carol. Um, Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, Tarzan, uh, Treasure Planet, The grossly underrated treasure planet. Here, come on. Come on over this way, guys. Come here closer, closer, as you can see. Um, by the way, Glenn Keane, this guy we're going to read the book from, this is, this is his book. Uh, he also produced my all-time favorite animated movie, Tangled. Can, just wild opinion here. Frozen, Tangled. Frozen, Tangled. Okay? Frozen 2, Tangled. Okay, anyway. Um, sorry. Glenn Keane, this guy we're going to read a story from, he even won an Academy Award. He produced a short uh, a story called uh, Love Basketball, a short film about Kobe Bryant, and, and they won an Academy Award. And get this, this is what you like most about Glenn Keane. For all his work, for all those years for Disney, he won a lifetime pass to Disney World. He's a Disney legend. I, right? I know. I think he has to buy his own food, though. Um, 
Now, but all that cool stuff, guess what mattered most to Mr. Keene? What mattered most to him were his books. For 30 years, he wrote a series of books called Adam Raccoon. And, uh, and today we're going to read one. Okay, you got the slides? All right, thank you guys. All right, here we go. Adam Raccoon and the Mighty Giant. If you can't see well, you can look up on the screen. They'll all be there. A mighty roar echoed through Master's Wood. It was King Aaron calling for Adam Raccoon. Crack, snap. Soon the forest rustled behind him. You called King Aaron? Adam wheezed as he stumbled out. Yes, Adam, here. Sit down and catch your breath. This is all my kingdom, Adam, but not all know me as their king. I want you to go and tell them. <gasps> Adam thought for a moment, then he said, I will, King Aaron. You can count on me. Good. Here's your badge. You are now my deputy. We are ambassadors for Christ, right? Whoopee! Adam shouted as he ran down the mountain. Thank you, King Aaron. Later that day, as Adam was showing everybody his badge, boom, 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 the ground started to shake. Boom, boom. Towering high above the treetops, a giant thundered through Master's Wood. Boom, boom, boom. The animals all scattered. Boom, boom, boom. The giant stomped off into the distance. Gather around, everybody, King Aaron shouted. Don't be afraid of the giant, he says, as he's standing in a giant footprint. Anyway, we need someone to go and welcome him to Master's Wood and tell him I am the king. Uh-oh, that means me, Adam thought. Adam, will you go? King Aaron asked. I, uh, really, I'd, I'd rather not. You see, I'm just a little guy, and he's so big. And everyone else said the same thing, except Freddy the Frog. How about you, Freddy? I'm not afraid of a giant. I'll go, he boasted. That's how Freddy talks. I don't know if you know that. All right. The crowd cheered, and the band played as Freddy marched off. Zip! But as soon as he was out of sight, he hid. I'm not looking for a giant, he said. Oh. Meanwhile, Adam sat staring at his badge. Remembering King Aaron's words, not all know me as their king. The giant needs to know, Adam said, and off he ran to find him. Through the darkening forest, Adam searched, but he could not see the giant. Then, suddenly, swish! A giant hand grabbed him from behind. Welcome to Master's Wood, Mr. Giant, Adam stuttered. I came to tell you about our king. And the giant listened as Adam told him about the wise and loving King Aaron. Meanwhile, King Aaron had been looking for Adam when... Boom, 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 the ground started shaking again. Run, it's a giant, the animal screamed. No, wait, look, King Aaron shouted. Don't be frightened, he wants to meet King Aaron. Welcome to Master's Wood, King Aaron said as they shook hands. There was a great party that night to welcome the giant. Everyone was there, even Freddy the Frog. The end. Wasn't that a great story? I love that. All right, you kids stay right here. Moms and dads, stand up, please. Prayer team, come forward if you would. We're done. We're going to dismiss right now. If you would stand, moms and dads, kids, just stay right here. 
So right here, I'm going to pray a benediction, and then the kids can go back and find you and steal the leftover candy canes, and um, they're on the bar near the coffee. And, um, and then you can come join our prayer team if you would like to pray, all right? Now may you and I go in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and may we share the word. If a raccoon can do it, we can. And it makes all the difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. So good to see you.